Thank you everyone for being here, taking the time to, uh, out of your day to speak with us. It really does make a difference. And like now that we have everyone here, I wanna give a brief overview of who we are as well as what we're doing with this project. And then after that, we can do like little intros for y'all. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Nice. Okay, so um, I'm one of the board members of the Asian Pacific Islander Social Work Association. And Cass here is one of our members of our club. And what we do as a club is we provide like a safe space for those in the helping profession to support each other. And also just kind of like navigate the higher education experience. We also provide like volunteer opportunities, ways to get involved with helping out the Asian Pacific Islander community. Um, for example, like this is one of the examples of what we're doing to offer our members. So we're currently connected with UPAC, the Union of Pan-Asian Communities, working on um, the Stop Asian Anti-Asian Pacific Islander Hate Initiative. And they're doing that through like various means. One of them is this podcast. And we'll come up with a catchier name by the time that this is uploaded. We're also doing um, bad monthly vlogs on UPAC's website. And hopefully somewhere down the line, we're going to also do like educational videos. But um, backtracking, like this is the podcast aspect of it. And this is the first episode of it. And we want to be able to educate the, you know, our audience, um, so mostly the Asian Pacific Islander American community about how to report a hate crime is the objective of this one. And we'll also be providing more education down the line regarding the topic of anti-Asian Pacific Islander hate. So that being said, quick intro for y'all. I know you're the Pan-Asian Lawyers of San Diego. Um, could each of you share a bit about your position and role and who you are, perhaps your favorite thing about being here? Emily, you wanna go? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, Good afternoon. My name is Emily Howe. I'm an officer at Paul's D, which stands for the Pan-Asian Lawyers of San Diego. I serve on different bar boards and, and national associations um, just uh, uh, because access to justice and equity and fairness have been at the heart of my professional and personal values. Um, so essentially, the Pan-Asian Lawyers is a bar association. Um, we had invited uh, Mr. Tran and Ms. Dillon here today to speak on uh, hate crimes because they're really the go-to experts on, on all of that. Hi guys, thank you so much for having us. I'm Abigail Dillon, but you can call me Abby. I'm a prosecutor with the San Diego DA's office and I've been a prosecutor for nine years. Um, I spent the bulk of my career actually doing domestic violence and child abuse cases, but I recently moved over to our special operations division, um, specifically to focus on hate crimes. And I am very lucky because I get to work with Leonard, who is our hate crimes expert in the office. Hi, I'm uh, Leonard Tran. I've been a prosecutor for 16 years. Um, similar to Abby, uh, I spent a, a large chunk of my career prosecuting uh, domestic violence and particularly child abuse. Um, I took over the lead hate crimes role in 2017 uh, and held it until about a month ago when Abby uh, came on board uh, to, uh, to learn the ropes and, and 
be the new lead hate crimes prosecutor for the county. So uh, we're both really excited to be here. Thank you again for They're both celebrities in the law. <laughs> has like this air of, yeah, like being a superstar, as you said earlier. I really get that sense. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and so with um, Paul's D, why do you feel like this organization is important to the Asian Pacific American community? Well, the uh, Pan-Asian Lawyers is a bar association. Um, just to provide a little bit of context, um, initially, I should say way back, but on August 5th, 1985, um, Palsy was founded as a California nonprofit. And our vision was essentially to be a unifying voice of the Asian Pacific American uh, legal community, and our mission is to develop leaders, educate the community, and empower APA legal professionals. Um, it became a, a 501c6 um, a, a couple years thereafter so that it could do um, more education, um, uh, promote economic and social justice efforts, uh, do a, a little bit uh, more of an array of efforts in the community. Um, but recently we created a C3 nonprofit to help support awareness and education within the APA community. Yeah, I know I'm like while speaking with you about like the different things that you offer, there's community presentations, right? Uh, so we're, we're a bar association. Um, I, I think uh, the link had been um, via NAPAB, the National Asian Bar Association, um, was working a lot with UPAC. And then um, our president and leadership have um, been working on enhancing resources and access to justice, but it, it's a professional organization. Um, which is why we're super excited to have our prosecutors here today. Um, so if you guys could kind of go through some of the ways that you think that Paul's D has impacted the APA community. Um, I, well, um, I, I, I think it's evolving. Um, part of the catalyst for Paul's D was um, Back in the early 1980s, there's this infamous case uh, about Vincent Chin, um, uh, who was murdered um, based on the fact that um, he, he was Asian American, essentially, and he was celebrating his, uh, his bachelor party, and he essentially was scapegoated uh, because uh, this family seemed to think that he was Japanese American and um, he was ethnically Chinese, but it, it began to sort of convene the APA uh, population um, because we all know that API, APA uh, populations aren't monolithic and uh, there's so much diversity within the community. Um, so a number of the bar associations emerged from that, um, and I think a critical component of policy has really been 
empowering local leaders and um, serving as role models. I, I know growing up, I never saw anybody who looked like me um, in re really anywhere um, on TV or in leadership positions. So it's always inspiring to see members of Palsy um, just because we have a tremendous community here in San Diego and there's a number of attorneys who are doing fantastic work. Mm -hmm. So now that you mentioned that I think um, when I do see ads around, because I see a lot of ads for like legal representation, I don't see signs for Asian representatives, I think ever now. So it was nice to hear that this agency exists, like, and then like looking through the website, seeing Asian faces and Asian Pacific Islander faces, it was, it's just good to know that there's more representation. Like it's really relieving to see that. Yeah. Also kind of off topic, but still kind of on topic. What has it been like, like seeing a more Asian representation in the media for you? Cause there's like more main characters that are Asian or Pacific Islander. I think it's great. Um... I'm, I'm biracial. My mom is from Taiwan. She immigrated to the United States when um, she was in her mid-30s, so kind of later in life um, she came to this country. And, um, you know, my mom and I, when I was growing up, really loved to watch the Golden Girls together. And that was sort of the entertainment that she um, likened like Ameri American media to. Um, and so to now be able to see people who look like my mom and people who look like me and my siblings um, is, is pretty incredible. Um, and, you know, I think representation matters and to be able to see yourself um, in mainstream media um, really, I think, reinforces this idea that we belong and we are a part of the culture. Um, and so even here in the legal community, um, like Emily mentioned, I think it was hard for me to imagine someone like myself um, or my family members in a courtroom or, you know, in a big firm and to be able to see that there are also um, organizations that um, really promote, um, promote that light to show, hey, we're here. We're, we're part of all kinds of communities in all kinds of different professions. Um, not just on TV, but also, you know, here in the courtrooms here locally in San Diego. It's pretty exciting. It was, um, it does, it's just like warmed my heart to be able to see this representation as well. And because again, it's just relieving to see, and it's nice to know that I can be represented by someone who like looks like me and also has some similar background to me. It's just nice to know. So um, with the rise of Asian hate crimes in the past couple of years, um, have you seen a change in what you do as an organization? Yeah, I'm, within our office and, and specifically the, the rise in Asian Pacific Islanders who have been targeted since the start of the pandemic, um, one of the things that we did was we wanted to make it easier for victims and witnesses of hate crimes to report. And so with the support of the district attorney, Summer Stefan, we started the first in the, in the state uh, online reporting tool where victims of hate crimes or witnesses of, of hate crimes can let us know uh, this happened uh, to me or I saw this happen to someone else. I want to make sure that that case does not slip through the cracks. Um, so, you know, let us know what we can do to, to, 
to support the, the prosecution or the investigation. Um, that didn't exist before, and so it was left on law enforcement's shoulders to bear the burden of figuring out when something was a hate crime, when really we're the ones that know what, whether we would file a charge or not. Uh, and so it kind of closed that gap of, of someone maybe missing potentially a hate crime. Um, we launched that hate crime hotline in April of 2020 uh, at the start of the pandemic. Uh, and in almost the two years that we've had it up and running, we've received almost 300 hate crime tips through our hotline. Um, so those, that's one of, the, one of the things that we've done. Um, before the pandemic, we also didn't have very many anti-Asian hate crimes that occurred within our county. Uh, in 2017, 2018, and 2019, we had zero. Uh, and all of a sudden, since the start of the pandemic, we've had four in our own county. Um, and so, um, you know, the engagement that we've done with the API community to try to encourage them to report hate crimes, um, because victims of hate crimes are typically reluctant to report, um, that's one of the things that we've done is we've increased our engagement with the API community to, to tell them, um, you know, they should report uh, that we take those uh, complaints very, very seriously and we'll prosecute to the full extent of the law. Where do you think the reluctance comes from or like the resistance? I mean, it comes from a lot of different, uh, uh, for a lot of different reasons. One, um, particularly with people who are, are new to the United States, if they came from countries where, you know, their governments were corrupt or their military was corrupt or their law enforcement was corrupt back in their home country, they're gonna have those same thoughts here. And so that's usually one of the biggest reasons why people uh, initially have um, some hesitation to report to law enforcement is that they're just a little bit distrustful. Uh, two, a language barrier, right? If you don't speak the English language, you're not gonna immediately think that there's going to be a translator or an interpreter available uh, for you to report the crime, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. Dispatchers have people who uh, can speak various languages, and most of the law enforcement agencies here uh, can have someone who speaks um, the victim's native language uh, in order to make an, an accurate report. Um, the third reason uh, is a lot of shame that's involved with being victimized. Um, I think uh, particularly with uh, communities that already feel marginalized or disenfranchised, they don't feel like uh, they're, they're uh, going to be taken seriously by law enforcement. And so uh, by, re by reporting it and drawing attention to it, I think that that just causes them to, to feel um, a little bit of discomfort. And then fear of retaliation. Um, if you are someone who is attacked because of your ethnicity or nationality, your sexual orientation, your religion, whatever it may be, uh, you're putting a spotlight on yourself by reporting a hate crime. And sometimes that can be scary for someone uh, who is a target of a hate crime because those are all characteristics that you can't change about yourself. And so that fear component uh, oftentimes is, is also another contributor. Um, so those are the main reasons why we see people uh, hesitant to report hate crimes. Yeah. And you mentioned that um, there's ways to get people to report in the, like their spoken language. How do people access that service? So the, the law enforcement agencies have uh, officers that they've identified as um, certified in whatever language mm -hmm. the victim needs to communicate in. So the, the law enforcement agency, once they figure out what the language is, they will contact that certified um, uh, officer to conduct the interview of the victim in the native language. Uh, there also are language line services that 
officers can call in and they will actually get an interpreter or translator on the phone and that they can also facilitate the interview that way. Um, but those are just two of the, two of the, the ways that, um, that they can communicate with victims who don't feel comfortable speaking in English. Yeah, that's really good to know. I personally didn't know that that service was available either, and I haven't seen people utilize it, so I think it's important to share that. It's there, it exists. Yeah, so um, including those, are there any other barriers or challenges um, that you find when it comes to serving minority clients like the APA community? Well, to piggyback off of what Leonard shared, I think um, in general, there can just be some distrust of um, APA victims working with law enforcement or working with government agencies um, for many of the reasons that he touched on. And so I think we as representatives of law enforcement um, really need to be proactive in doing outreach to the community, providing educational opportunities so that we can help build that trust, build that rapport with the community to let them know, hey, we're here to help your voice matters. It's important to report these incidents and um, we can you know, provide you with culturally sensitive services that are going to help you best. Um, so I think really that kind of community engagement that's proactive on our part um, is um, one of the ways that we try to um, you know, bridge that gap um, that, can, that can happen sometimes just from you know, working within the APA community. And I mean, you know, the, the forums that we've done with the API community, when they see me or Abby walk into the room and they see, like you mentioned earlier, that we look like them and we have shared experiences, that helps tremendously break down immediate barriers and that feeling of discomfort of not, of not trusting who you're speaking with. Uh, and that's huge. Uh, having, having a diverse uh, workforce that can interact with the, with the community and represents the community, I think is huge. And that's such an important point across communities. I mean, I, I think a unique um, component of the APA community is that there's just so many, much diversity and, and we're, we're often lumped into one, you know, concept. Um, so it is so important to meet people where they're at and um, everything that, that was already mentioned, uh, you know, there's uh, just the unique considerations and often being under-resourced or the basic knowledge or interpretation or cultural understanding. Um, and I would also say just the biases, you, you know. Um, I, I think one concept that I was thinking about earlier was that all too often we hear these um, stereotypes or misnomers of, you know, microaggressions against Asian Americans. Um, but those are aggressions. I mean, there, there can be verbal violence um, that can lead to physical violence. And I think we need to recognize that. And often um, I, I, I've seen folks um, probably including myself minimizing um, probably some interactions that uh, have occurred in just everyday life. And it's so important to recognize what happened for, for what it is. So I think that we've talked a lot about like hate and hate crimes. Would you guys be able to kind of define for us what actually constitutes a hate crime? Sure. So when we are looking at hate crimes in the state of California, a hate crime is essentially any crimes, any crime that you can think of. 
but one that was committed in whole or in part because of a bias against either an actual or a perceived characteristic of the victim. So those characteristics can include things like their race, ethnicity, nationality, religion, sexual orientation, their gender, um, uh, disability, or the association with any of those um, characteristics. Mm -hmm. I know in um, some past cases, there have been like kind of disagreement about whether something is con constituted as a hate crime and it can seem that uh, the crime was committed based on their race or another trait but then it'll still get charged as not a hate crime do you know how about like do you know about how that works or how um like law enforcement decides whether or not it's charged as a hate crime yeah so so generally speaking uh prosecutors only charge uh, what they believe occurred and what they think they can prove to a jury beyond a reasonable doubt. So um, when, when there are instances where the victim believes it's a hate crime uh, and um, we look at the case and we determine, is there enough evidence to show that that crime itself, you know, the crime could have, could be rock solid as far as proof beyond a reasonable doubt, but whether we can charge it as a hate crime then we're looking at, is there enough evidence to show that that crime was motivated in whole or in part because of that bias? So um, bias, interestingly enough, doesn't have a definition in the California Penal Code. Uh, it's something that Abby and I will be working on, uh, passing legislation uh, that defines it pretty broadly. But you know, when most people think about what bias means, they think preformed negative opinion. Uh, and so you take a case where someone's using racial slurs or homophobic slurs or anti-Semitic slurs. Those are really obvious examples of a preformed negative opinion because you're insulting the person based on their sexuality or their race or their religion. Uh, what's less obvious is if that, that perpetrator says nothing, but they continually target people in the same community. So they target API people over and over and over again. Well, now there's no explicit evidence of bias because they're not saying anything. Uh, law enforcement in those cases would look at social media to see if they say anything on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram that's derogatory towards that community that they're targeting. But if they're smart and they don't say anything, those are the types of cases where we say, we may not be able to prove that it's a hate crime just because they target a particular community. It could be that that offender, that perpetrator lives around a whole bunch of people who happen to share the same characteristic and they're just targeting their neighbors. So, so that's kind of the threshold that we look at when we say, is there enough evidence to, to say that some crime is motivated by bias? Mm -hmm. So when it's a situation like that, where it seems a little more ambiguous and you're representing someone who had like a hate crime committed against them, but that's their situation, how, what do you do when you're representing them? Well, we always tell the victims our obligations and, and our limitations on when we can charge uh, a, a crime or a hate crime allegation. So we inform them as much as, as possible as to why we, we make certain decisions when it comes to charging. Uh, and for the most part, they understand. You know, there, a, a lot of times it's not a question of whether or not we can charge a regular crime. It's just, is, is there enough to charge it as a hate crime? And so, uh, you know, we, we tell them that law enforcement did a full investigation into the defendant's background, the perpetrator's background. 
and there wasn't enough evidence to charge it. Uh, and, and that usually ends up satisfying their, you know, uh, their curiosity or, or their, their questions about why a hate crime wasn't charged. Um, but in our office, we've, we've become extremely aggressive in charging hate crimes uh, in the last five years. Uh, we very nearly tripled our hate crimes prosecutions from 2016 to 2017. And that level has pretty much been maintained since um, since Abby and I started prosecuting hate crimes. Wow. Could you go a little into the importance of um, why it's important to charge these types of crimes as hate crimes rather than just, I guess, a regular crime? So, you know, I think it's important to call it what it is. Um, if someone is targeting a victim because of a perceived um, characteristic, um, the type of harm that's caused by that conduct is different than somebody who's targeting, um, you know, someone who's committing um, another crime that doesn't have that same type of bias. Um, what we see with hate crimes is that they don't just impact the individual victim, but the harm actually transfers to an entire community of people. Um, and I think that's why our office in particular is so um, adamant that we call it what it is, charge it what it is. So if we believe that we can prove that this offender, um, you know, committed a crime because of or motivated by their bias against the victim, whatever that may be, um, it's important to, to charge it appropriately. Um, because again, this type of harm, um, it really is a poison for our entire community, not just the community of that the victim's characteristic, you know, belongs to, but our entire community here in San Diego. Um, you know, so I think that's, it's really wonderful to work for an office that has prioritized the prosecution of these crimes in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it could be like very intimidating to report a hate crime for the first time. So how would you explain the reporting process to someone who's completely new to this, has no idea how to go about it? Sure. So, you know, across the board, what we've seen with hate crimes in particular is that they are largely underreported. Um, and so one thing we try to emphasize is, is how important it is to actually um, contact law enforcement and report um, hate crimes as they're happening. Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, our recommendation is to contact your local law enforcement agency for, you know, close in time, if not directly when the crime occurs. Um, but we also understand that that can be an intimidating process. And that's why our office launched some additional reporting tools that Leonard mentioned earlier. So you can report um, hate crimes through our office has our own hate crimes hotline. We have an email address. We even have an online portal. Um, we did that with the hope that we could expand the avenues that victims have to um, bring this to our attention. And so if someone chooses to report a hate crime through those avenues, through our hotline or email or online portal, we'll work with victims to get them in contact with a hate crimes liaison from their local law enforcement agency. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I completely understand that there is um, some hesitation and fear, um, all kinds of reasons really why a victim may be hesitant to come forward. But, um, you know, the, the best way for us to address this and to, um, you know, really take on these kinds of crimes head on is 
first and foremost, it starts with recording. Um, you know, we the first step of any investigation is recording. And so I can't, we can't emphasize enough how important it is to actually contact law enforcement when this, if this happens to you. And, and to piggyback on what Abby said, uh, once a, a crime is reported and, and it gets, uh, you know, we get wind of it in the DA's office, uh, there are a whole bunch of services that our victim advocates can offer to victims of crime. So if there are uh, concerns about safety and where the victim lives, like let's say the offender is the neighbor, um, there are certain funds uh, through the state victim compensation fund that can help the victim relocate. Uh, if there is um, psychological trauma to the victims as a result of their uh, the crime, uh, counseling services can be uh, offered to help cope with kind of the emotional and the, the psychological trauma that that crime victims face. So there are a whole bunch of things that that uh, that victims uh, of crime can tap into as far as resources, but it has to start with the reporting. If there isn't a report, no one ever finds out about. Uh, about the need for resources, and then they're not given to the victims who, who need them. You mentioned um, the hotline and email. Sorry, could you hear me clearly? I can now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so regarding the email and hotline to aid in the reporting process, um, after this, would you mind sending that to me so I could uh, also create a resource to share as well? Absolutely. All right, awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, so it, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like the impact of the hate crime is really a community issue. Um, so how can, uh, I guess, us and other professionals in the community support you as allies um, while we put a stop to the anti-AAPI hate? Yeah, so um, Abby and I both sit on a coalition called the San Diego Regional Anti-Hate Crime Coalition. And uh, it's made up of various community leaders, um, religious leaders, uh, you know, uh, people who offer services to immigrants who, who come and are new to the country and to the county. Um, and, and we do really rely on those community leaders um, and religious leaders when we have a crime victim who's hesitant to report. Uh, those community leaders uh, oftentimes are crucial in getting those victims and encouraging them to report to law enforcement and what they'll oftentimes say is, I know, I know who the prosecutor is. I know who the detective is that's gonna be assigned to the case and they are someone that you can trust. And so for, for allies or people who want to support uh, crime victims, that encouragement of, of uh, uh, support through the investigative stage and through the prosecution is, is key. And letting them know that the people who will be involved in their case are people who take these crimes extremely seriously and will do whatever they can to, to get justice. I think that's the best thing that allies can do. As legal representatives, is there any legal advice you'd like to offer to the APA community? <laughs> uh, we can't offer advice to people <laughs> uh, who aren't our clients. Uh, so I, 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 can't, I can't say you know, too much, but I can kind of reiterate what I said before. Uh, if, you, if you've witnessed a hate crime or a hate incident, it's extremely important to, to report that to law enforcement. Uh, and even if it doesn't rise to the level of a hate crime, uh, if you just hear hate speech um, and uh, you let it go kind of unchecked, 
what we notice in the hate crime arena is hate speech is oftentimes a precursor to hate crimes. Uh, people who, who say hateful things based on race, sexual orientation, religion, particularly when they say it on social media, they get those likes and they get those retweets and it, it just emboldens them to, to say more outrageous things. Uh, and once they start to so, uh, sort of feel comfortable expressing those viewpoints online, they then move and do it out in public and they'll accost people in public. And that's where the real danger of, of hate crimes being committed uh, exists is that, you know, they feel like, oh, everyone's going to have my back and they're going to support what I'm doing because I got a hundred tweets when I said the same thing on Facebook earlier, uh, earlier this year. So really call out that speech, uh, when you can, uh, report it. Um, and, uh, that's the only way that we can start to make change, uh, is, is by, by reporting it and, and calling out that, that conduct. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I know we've spent a lot of time um, during this interview talking about um, victims specifically of hate crimes, but um, witnesses are also very important in the reporting process. Um, you know, when we think about whether or not we can prove whether a hate crime occurred, um, witness statements that help corroborate the victim's account of what happened are is incredibly effective and helpful in these investigations. And so, you know, when you see someone being mistreated or when you hear hate speech or, you know, when you see that someone is being targeted, um, speak out against that. Um, you know, that is an incredibly powerful role that you can play. Okay, and then along these lines, um, are there any other words um, perhaps not legal advice, but uh, uh, any other words you would like to share with the APA community? Um, for me, when I was thinking about, um, you know, our conversation today, I think the thing that I kept replaying over and over is um, that you matter, our community matters. And we, you know, we're not just, you know, an Asian American community, we are part of the larger community of San Diego. And, um, you know, I think a lot about um, the things that my mom experienced when she first immigrated to the United States. Um, if, if it's okay to share a personal story, um, you know, my mom came to the U.S. later in life. She really didn't speak the language. Um, I remember when she would come to pick me up at school and um, there would be kids who would mimic her accent. Um, you know, little things like that, that I could see really chip away at her self-confidence and her, um, her feeling of belonging. And I think it really isolated her. And then at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, my mom was working as a delivery person when lots of people were staying at home and, uh, you know, online ordering. My mom was out making deliveries and, um, you know, she was in an area where there are a lot of Asian people and that made her feel safe. But when she would be out on these delivery routes, people, some people made derogatory comments to her, to her um, you know, likening her to being responsible for the coronavirus, I mean, all kinds of terrible stuff. And when I would talk to her about it, she was so, um, she really downplayed it. She tried to tell me that it wasn't a big deal, but I could see how small it made her feel. And when that is you know, magnified, you can see how hate speech, these types of comments, these microaggressions to full, full on hate crimes, and you can see how damaging it is to, to the whole community. 
Um, and so, you know, when I think about the messaging that we want to convey um, to the APA community, I, I think the biggest thing that I would say is that you matter and you belong. And um, these types of hate crimes have no place um, in our community where we live. Uh, the, the two things that I would say, um, one, you know, get involved. Uh, I, I think, you know, I wouldn't be here in the hate crimes role had I not thrown my name in the ring when the position became open. And I can tell you that, that even doing that was what caused me a lot of doubt about my abilities uh, and whether or not I was qualified to take on such an important role. Um, but you, you can't achieve anything unless you try. Uh, and so really um, put your name out there, run for positions, uh, get involved in, in organizations like Palsy and, and, and put yourself out there uh, because that representation matters so much. Um, and then the second part is don't underestimate the value of a mentor-mentee relationship. Um, you know, I'm, I'm only here because of the people that I've had who helped me along the way when I was a baby prosecutor uh, up until now. And uh, now that I'm on the, the second half of my career, uh, it's really important to, for me now as a potential mentor to help other people and lift them up as well. And so uh, really take advantage of those people that, that are out there and, and know what they're doing and are willing to help um, because that help will get you places further than you could, you could get on your own. So those, those would be the two things I would say. I immediately thought of uh, two responses, both sort of playing off of um, what Leonard and Abby um, had said. Um, when I was thinking about this conversation, I also immediately thought of my mom. Um, and I, I thought about um, American pop culture where they say, um, you know, there's no place like home. Um, and my mom's face, um, side of the family goes back to the American Revolution, um, and she's always ingrained respect, you, you know, uh, the concept of just basic respect for others. Um, you might not like them, um, but we all have a shared humanity, um, and the common experience that I think sometimes APA and API community members ex experience it's that concept of, oh, go back, you know, to where you came from or um, nefarious concepts like that. And uh, I think all too often people forget that even though we have multifaceted experiences, we are, we, we're all American and we're all humans. And just um, remember that, remembering that um, common bond. And, and it also made me think of the origins of palsy. Um, it, it, it literally uh, was a, a group of friends um, who saw a need in the community and the uh, acronym or the, the um, PALS D concept, it, it was literally PALS of SD. Um, and I, I think it was one of the first times where I did feel welcomed and be um, belonging in, in that whole concept of um, not just inclusivity, not just having people there to represent, you know, a, a certain um, population, um, actually having diversity welcomed and celebrated is, is huge. Um, and, and I suppose the last thing I'd say is that San, San Diego is a very small town, even though it's the eighth largest city in the nation. I, I mean, you, you can often run into to 
folks and I, I'd hi highly encourage people um, uh, to, to feel free to reach out. Um, there's tremendous leaders within the API community and just overall San Diego community. Um, so, you know, step into our unified uh, strengths and commonality and engage in public service. Don't donate to uh, nonprofits that are doing good work. Um, oh, and I did want to mention that with um, the pandemic and the increase of uh, us see, seeing reporting of hate, hate crimes, um, I, I think a, a lot of people start to realize that and have been endeavoring to increase services. So there's um, UPAC, of course, and then uh, there's a legal clinic called Pagasa, uh, which means hope. Um, and, and then of course there's SDLF, the San Diego Asian, American Legal Education Fund. Um, so, so just being able to support those different, ex, you know, efforts and experiences is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you everyone for sharing that. Like again, um, I feel like what was shared here, it can keep being shared to others. Like this podcast will be shared through UPAC and, oh, I wanted to also ask uh, if we were to run into someone who thinks that they might be a victim of hate crime, would you be comfortable if I shared like your contact information or is there like a different form of information that you'd like to share instead? For us, they can contact us through the hate crime hotline that we'll um, provide to you. Um, that way it's, it's, it's formalized and one of us will respond to, to their concerns. Um, but again, like Abby said earlier, uh, if they really do feel like, um, you know, they're, they're in current danger. Uh, calling 911 is the best way to get immediate assistance. Uh, we don't want them to you know, sit there on their phone while they're getting assaulted and try to email us. We want them to get help immediately. So, so if, if it's an emergency situation to call, uh, call 911. Mm -hmm. That's all I have on my end, Cass. Do you have any additional questions? No. Um, well, I think maybe um, we've talked a lot about the API community, but you all, we all are a part of that as well. And I can't see that you would be immune to any of the effects of what's going on in the community. Um, how has this affected you personally or maybe perhaps your work? Yeah, I mean, I think overall we have seen, I mean, since 2020, we've seen an increase in hate crimes specifically that are motivated with an anti-Asian bias, and that is incredibly concerning. That's not just unique to San Diego, it's happening on the state level and also nationally. Um, and so, you know, I think we, we really want to focus our efforts in addressing um, this significant increase. I mean, it is significant. And um, I think one thing that we have been trying to do is be more mindful about the kind of outreach that we do, the community presence that we have um, in order to address this head on. Um, and then on a personal level, you know, it, it's things that are like, I worry about my mom whenever she's, you know, out making her delivery runs, or I worry about my, excuse me, my family members. And, um, you know, that, I think really helps kind of keep my perspective, especially when talking to hate crime victims, being out in the community, reviewing these cases, um, because I always think to myself, this could be someone that I care for. This could be someone, you know, who 
um, who is close to me who has experienced something similar. And I, I try to keep that perspective with every um, hate crime victim that I speak with. Yeah, I know um, there was a recent case where I saw that the man who was hurt, he looked just like my dad. And that was really scary to see because these people could be our relatives. They could be people in our family, our friends. And it's scary to know like that's an extra risk that's out there. 100%. And, you know, that also helps emphasize how important it is for all of us to speak up when we see something like that happening. And because again, it could be your, your dad, your mom, your friend, your sibling, uh, you know, this, this impacts all of us. Mm -hmm. well, with that said, I want to say thank you so, so much again for taking the time to speak with us today. I really believe that like this is going to help make a difference. And I know for like the information I've heard here, I have like a, a lot of friends who are also in the API community as well. So I'll be sharing it with them. And yeah, I'm hoping to see positive change from this. Yeah. Do you have any last words? All right. Hey, thank you again. I know I said it already, but thank <laughs> you again. And I hope everyone has an excellent Friday with an excellent weekend. And hope thank hopefully. You. Thank you for everybody's time and efforts. Yes. Thanks for having us. Very nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Okay. Bye everyone.